I don't know what it's going to be like when we stand before Jesus and give account for our lives at the judgment seat of Christ, right? But picture, let's say that we're kind of all standing together, sojourn, and Jesus is approaching, and he's got a torch, you know, to burn up the wood, hay, and stubble, right? And, you know, we all look and we're at our feet, and we're like, oh, okay, there's wood, hay, and so, oh, man, there's a lot of wood and hay and stubble. But you see a few jewels peeking through there, right? The gold, silver, precious stones. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's an analogy that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 3, right? That we've all got kind of some wood, but we've got some stuff that'll burn. And Jesus is approaching to burn away the straw. And you're sitting there like, oh, I hope there's gold. I hope there's gold. I hope there's something left to give back to God, right? Because the idea of the judgment is not the judgment seat of Christ. The idea is not that our sin is being judged. Our sin has been judged in the cross. It's gone. But our fruitfulness is evaluated, right? We do face this. In other words, I can believe in Jesus and have a, a wrecked life and I squeak into heaven, but, you know, there's nothing to give back to Jesus, right? Or I can live my life as a humble servant doing what he leads me to do, what can't just describe, whatever it might be, your gift. And then there is this, all this, you know, they use gold, silver, precious stones. I don't think we really care about money in heaven. But you know what I'm saying? It's a picture, right? That we can then not keep, but give back to Jesus to honor him, right? That's the great thing. So here's the deal. What can we do today so that every person in this room has a pile of gold to offer back to the king. That's our goal. That's our goal. So let's read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Maybe, maybe we'll stop at 19. Here we go. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heavens and upon earth is named, in order that he might give to you according to the riches of his glory to have power through, to be, or to be strengthened through his spirit in the inner man in order that Christ might dwell through faith in your hearts by being rooted and founded in love in order that you might have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, the beyond knowing love of Christ, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Lord, in Jesus' name, we ask that you would open our minds, our hearts, our souls, our spirits to absorb what Paul is praying here and to receive what Paul is praying here. In Jesus' name, amen. A little background, and we're going to read that scripture again. A little background, in Ephesians 1, we found out that we were chosen by the Father, forgiven by the Son, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, we learned that we were saved by grace for good works that God's ordained for us to do. And then in the last part of chapter 2, first part of chapter 3, we learned that when we have unified fellowship, diverse people, when they have unified fellowship from people of different races, backgrounds, nationalities and subcultures that it demonstrates the wisdom of God 
to a watching world. In other words, the reality of God is demonstrated when there's fellowship in diversity in Christ. Well, what more do you need? (laughs) You need it to be prayed into reality. So the the first three weeks of Ephesians have been pretty intellectual. Now we're going to go and, you know, this is a passage that any pastor trembles to preach because it is not so much information as heart formation. It's not so much things you write in a notebook, although feel free, <laughs> but it's, it's what happens on your knees as a result of what we're going to talk about today. And so I'm going to do something. I'm looking at, at Ryan here. I'm going to do something that Ryan's brother, Sean, hates, all right, for just like five minutes, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this scripture again, but I'm not going to read it all through. I'm going to pause and make comments. just going to make some random comments, and then we'll go into an ordinary sermon. But I just, I just want you to hear this passage as it's unpacked, okay? Uh, by the way, uh, on account of this, he says, for, in other words, for this reason. In other words, Paul's saying, here's why I pray. Because all Jew and Gentile are saved by grace, because God has, his goal is to unite all true believers in Christ, and because, verse 13, the previous verse, Paul's being persecuted and they might be worried. For this reason, he says, I get on my knees. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, I bend my knees before the Father, from whom every family in the heavens and upon earth are named, Every family, so now Paul is, is, is picturing there's already people in heaven, right? That's the church triumphant. They're already celebrating their faith in heaven. And every family on earth is named, right? Those that are still the church militants, still fighting the spiritual battles. And what does he pray for them? In order that he might give to you according to the riches of his glory. Now, before we even know what he's going to give to you, it's according to the riches of his glory. Right? In other words, picture Moses saying, God, show me your glory. He's saying, Yep, I'm going to do it. And if you know the story, Moses is knocked out, you know, he's just flattened before God, bows before God. He's so transformed by the presence of God that they don't know what to do with him when he shows up again. Paul says, Guess what? In first uh, second Corinthians three, you've got something even better than Moses. If you're a, a Jesus Christ believer today, By the Spirit of God, he says, doesn't matter whether you're Catholic, Lutheran, charismatic, evangelical, whatever you are, that you have access to the glory of the Father and that that is how you're transformed, 2 Corinthians 3, all right? According to the riches of that glory, so when he's praying, he's not like, oh, you know, I hope something happens. He's like, no, the riches of God's glory, which is pictured as a a like a huge pool of the glory of God just waiting to break out onto your life according to the riches of his glory. Uh, He says, (laughs) he prays, that you might be strengthened with power through the spirit in the inner man. All right, so now he's saying, I'm praying that God's gonna do something by his spirit. He's gonna strengthen your inner spirit We'll talk about why that's necessary in a moment. But what is the Spirit going to do in his strengthening? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, some of you are going, well, wait a minute. I thought they were Christians. I thought Christ was already in their hearts. So we'll talk about that. Yes, they're already Christians. 
In one sense, Christ is in their hearts, but they're still under attack spiritually. And he's going to explain how to, what that's about, right? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Uh, and then um, by, I'm going to say by being rooted and established in love. There's a little debate about that. We'll talk about how to, whether that's by or, or while being rooted and established in love. In other words, you're going to be strengthening your faith by being established in an experience and a knowledge of the love of God with all the saints, uh, in order that you may be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and breadth and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, the surpassing beyond knowing the love of Christ, you could say, if I'd be very literal, I'd say that you could know the beyond knowing love of Christ in order that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Just start to wrap your heart around that. All right? So what do we need? We're already saved by grace. This triune blessing of chapter one where the unity that we have in Christ expresses the reality of God in a watching world. What do we need? We need to pray it into reality. And so Paul is inviting us to pray for spiritual growth. He's praying for their spiritual growth, really, but we'll join him in those prayers. So what, are the, what do we pray? What are, there are several prayers for spiritual growth here. The first prayer for spiritual growth is strength in the inner person, verses 14 to 17, out of his glorious riches, right? Already talked about that, the glory of God, that he might strengthen you with power in the inner person that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, we thought, you know, you know, Jesus is already in my heart. That's what you tell me, right? But the word here is katakeo. If I remember right, this verb is only used twice uh, in, or no, it's the noun that's only used twice in, in the New Testament and both in Ephesians. But it is, in, in contrast to uh, parakeo, it is not to just kind of be there on a, like, uh, like you stay in a motel, but a permanent dwelling place. So here's what I make it analogous to, and you can check out the biblical theology later with Dr. Amy over here. But I think that Paul's expressing here the same thing John expresses in John 15, abiding, right? That Christ may abide, live in your heart all the time. So in other words, we get in our kind of Western um, well, wait a minute. Now, I thought that positionally I'm in Christ. Yes, you are, okay? And yeah, and Christ is in you. Yeah, he is. But he's talking beyond the, okay, now I know Jesus lives in my heart, but I still go and live however I want. He's like, I want Christ to abide. I'm praying God, Christ will abide, dwell, live, saturate. You will abide in by faith, Right? Settle in permanent abode, Christ reigning, filling the whole house of your life. He's praying for the increased filling of the house of your life with Christ. Well, why do we need this? Now, here's where we get some biblical theology and some pastoral. Because thoughts and feelings weaken the inner person, right? Right? making us vulnerable to doubts and fears, unresolved anger, disillusionment, etc. 
right? These inhibit faith and push against the abiding presence of Christ in our lives. So things like, I'm just too sinful. I mean, how many times have I wrestled? How many times have I ministered, you know, working with somebody I'm discipling and, and I just, you know, I just, I had a terrible week. Yeah? Does that change that you're forgiven? See, here, here's the thing. I'm all for growing in holiness, all right? Don't, don't get me wrong here. <laughs> but the worst thing about sin is what Christians let it do to them about their relationship with God, which then becomes the spiral. If you're like, I blew it, Lord, and your word says I'm forgiven, and now I'm in intimate relationship with you, guess what? No spiral, right? When, next time you fall, maybe you'll be sinless till heaven, but you know, may, let's just say maybe you might sin sometime, okay? All right, so yeah. Next time you fall, what about seeing it as an opportunity to confess with humility your need for Christ? I had this one guy, I disciple, he wouldn't mind me saying this. He wasn't in the Twin Cities. We'll just say that, okay? So you're never going to meet him. All right. But he had this great thing, you know. We'd meet together, and it was almost more peer-to-peer, but anyway, I was his pastor. Anyway, so, you know, he would blow it with somebody. He'd say, there he said, you know, I thank you, Lord, that this just proves to me that uh, proves that what uh, you say about me is true. I'm a sinner. And he would just be like, and he'd go on like, hallelujah, right? <laughs> right? He wasn't going to get stuck in the crud and live there for three days, right? Okay, so I blew it. Now I'm confessing. I'm moving on, right? Christ was dwelling in his heart, this indwelling. I'll, I'll never measure up. Some of us, you know, it's not so much sin, but I'll just never measure up. I'm unblessable. God doesn't notice. No one cares. I'm on the outside. My life doesn't matter. These are all the things that attack the inner man and inhibit our ability to move into what Kent was talking about, the, the, your ministry that God has for you this semester. Did you know that you have a ministry this semester? If you know Jesus, you, have a minute, you, can, you may have met Jesus yesterday. You have a ministry this semester. And to enter that ministry, you have to, you have to believe that you are blessable. Your inner person needs strength. So when you're strengthened in the inner man, you know that you know Christ and you know that by faith you're abiding in him. You know that you're blessable. This is the strength that Paul is praying for. I encourage you, receive prayer today from somebody. And just pray this. You'll be strengthened in your inner man. Scripture truth-telling. For example, John 15, 16 says this. Now, it's to the disciples, but John put it there. It's for everybody, right? Really, all believers. Jesus says, we'll pick on Nicole because, you know, she's my daughter. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and placed you, appointed you, to go and bear fruit. So Nicole can take that and say, okay, so wait a minute. I have been chosen as a disciple of Jesus and placed in the network of relationships I'm in to go and bear fruit, right? You, you can take the truth of the scriptures, right? They're written to you, and you can seize hold of them and as, and as you do that, you become strengthened in the inner person 
And yeah, you may have a temptation, you might fall. You confess, you get over it, right? But you're not thrown from your ministry any longer. You're not thrown from your purpose because the inner person is being strengthened. It's similar to and analogous to uh, in 1 John, I think it's 12, 13, and 14, somewhere in there, where you move from being a, a babe in Christ that knows they're forgiven to a young man or woman in Christ that has begun to overcome the evil one. Right? And so you're not any longer intimidated by the lies and the untruths that are trying to prevent you from becoming the person God has destined you to become. Amen. Yeah. Woo. At least me and Natasha get it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And so, so one of our goals here at Sojourn is for you to know that. You know who you are in Christ. And then you enter into the ministry you have and the truth from others. Hebrews 3.13. Says, as long as it's called today, right? Encourage one another, lest they be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so it isn't just the mystical, oh, I was reading my Bible and I was blessed. It was, you know, you get up in the morning and Ryan says to Natasha, I see Christ in you. Thank you, brother and husband, right? <laughs> yeah, right? You, you speak truth to one another. Okay, so the first prayer for spiritual growth is strength in the inner person. But the second prayer for spiritual growth is, is apprehending God's love in verses 17 to 19. How does God's abiding presence increase? By being thoroughly established in the experience of God's love. He says, by being rooted, right? And I, uh, for my Greek students, and Amy can critique this later, but I think it's a modal or means participle, right? So in other words, that, that by being rooted in love, by being established in love, so he uses two different kinds of analogies. For the farmers, he says, by being rooted in love, so you grow those roots down deep, and the rooting in love will strengthen you. And then for the architects, he says, or being, or the, you know, uh, the architects and engineers, or being established and built in love, same idea, right? Different analogy, by being rooted and grounded, established in love, that you might comprehend the depth of the love of Christ. So again, how does this work? Knowing the truth, deeply rooted, you must be planted in Christ's love and grow deeply in the soil. Well, what do I mean? How's that different from the first one? Here it is. Really, this is the first John one, the analogy. When you are grounded in Christ's love, you begin to overcome sins that are based on your needs. Okay, when you're rooted and grounded in love. So before you're rooted and grounded in love, um, uh, I don't know. I hate to always think about sex, but it's the easiest one. To, okay, so uh, let's just use it. It's an easy one. <laughs> All right. Okay, so, you know, if you're, before you're running ground in love, you're like, you know, I've got sexual desire. That's from God. That's not evil. I'm tempted. Maybe if I just lust for a little while, I'll feel really good, right? Woo, right? Because God designs us to feel good in arousal, right? Oh, but then I'll feel terrible, but well, maybe it'll work. I'll just, I'll just confess it later, right? You've never thought that, but okay, yeah. All right, yeah, and oh, it'll be okay, right? When you rooted and grounded in love, you begin to realize, I really believe that God knows the best about a given area of my life. So that when he says don't lust, he's not saying don't be a sexual human being, but he's saying here's the, here's the 
best way to fulfill this desire of your life. Now, the same is true for possessions or power, uh, you know, the need for achievement. All of these things have both legitimate and illegitimate expressions, right? But when you're rooted and grounded in his love, you, you, you know, it's not like you never slip. You're being like, oh, wait a minute. No, no, I want what you, you begin to say, I want what you want, Lord, because I really know your love and I know that you are really wanting what is best for me. And that's really the first John, you know, you've overcome the evil one stage, moving from babe to young adult in the Christ. And do that, please, before you're 40, okay? <laughs> I mean, you know, the sad thing is you can be a babe in Christ at 50. It's very sad, <laughs> okay? Uh, it's okay if, to be a babe in Christ in your teens or 20s, right? But, you know, don't stay there, right? Okay? So, yeah, begin to learn that God really cares about you, that he's reliable, that he really has what is best for you. And you begin to see the overcoming of that kind of uh, temptation. Uh, so, built upon truth. Now, it's also true that you've got to confront the lies here. Because it's not just not doing the bad things, it's doing the good things, right? Receiving encouragement when you expected rejection. One of the interesting things that can happen at this stage of spiritual development is as your brothers and sisters begin to see what's in you and they say that, it breaks the lies that come from our own head and maybe family background in some cases, right? No, I'm blessable in Christ. No, uh, you each have your own story, but uh, my campus pastor was particularly helpful to me and others similar to me in that uh, he was an introvert. And so he modeled that God could use introverts. Do you know God could use introverts? Hallelujah, right? Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, amen, yeah. <laughs> right? And so it's like, okay. And here's a model. All right, I don't have to be the life of the party to be used by God, right? So, you know, you got your own story, but the idea is that, that I'm blessable, that God can use you. Now, direct healing prayer is relevant here for grounding in God's love. So the second prayer for spiritual growth is grounding in God's love, putting that, those roots down. But the final prayer for spiritual growth is the hardest to put into words. And, and that prayer is tasting the unfathomable love of Christ. Look at verse 19. He says, I pray, you know, talking about height, breadth, length, depth of, Christ, of the love of Christ, and to know the beyond knowing love of Christ. He says, you really can't put it into words, right? To know the beyond knowing love of Christ, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. To know the love that surpasses knowledge. Now, I've got a couple illustrations here. With your permission, it's from my life because it's my life. Okay, so. Uh, when I was a brand new Christian, I was down in um, the School of Healthcare Sciences for the Air Force in uh, Texas, and I was learning medical electronics, which compared to today was quite primitive, all right? Uh, but, uh, you know, so we, we put us on each of the machines, and they had to learn the machine, and then they break them, and you have to fix them, right? Okay. So there was uh, one particular machine. Now, this is what's very old-fashioned, all right? But this, this is very, it was, a, it was a vacuum tube about this high, 
And if I remember right, it was some kind of, uh, you know, like you put it on your skin and it electrostatic kind of thing, right? Because it was real high voltage, but real high frequency. And what they call the collector, which is where the high voltage is, was right on the tippy top of this tube, which was not typical even in those days. Normally it was pins in the bottom, really high tube. So here are this machine, all the guts are open, <clears throat> the power's on, and you got this really, like, really high voltage, like between three and 5,000 volts right up there on top, right? Now, fortunately, it's very high frequency, as you'll understand when we hear the story. So you know, you're supposed to, uh, there's a, what's something they call the one-hand rule? The, the one-hand rule is that you always use just one hand, because then even if you get what they call bit by the electricity, it can't cross the critical path, which is right across your heart, Right? And that does bad things to the bundle of hiss, the electrostatic uh, function in the heart, right? Okay, so, well, I didn't mean to break the rule. But I mean, like, I'm down and I must have been, my thumb must have been touching, uh, grounded on some of the metal, and I must have brushed the upper part of the collector. And it must have been fairly low frequency or I wouldn't be here to talk to you today. Uh, but all I know is all of a sudden, I, like, I'm like coming, like, I didn't fall over, but I'm like coming too mentally, Right? So I grab my roommate and say, take me down to the break room. I need a Coca-Cola. You know, I, I, I get my head together, right? So somehow, okay. But, I mean, it was like so powerful, I couldn't quite grasp what had happened. Interestingly enough, the same thing happened spiritually a few months later, and it's a good thing it was a kind of church that wasn't freaked out by this. Uh, I was a brand new believer. I was going to kind of Baptistic type Bible studies. I was going to kind of charismatic ones. I was going to a church that was Assembly of God or some, you know what I mean? Church of Christ, Assembly of God. They're all same to me, but okay, great. We'll go. My, my friend said, go, we'll go. So I'm sitting, and it was just so good that it was an Assembly of God church because they didn't freak out. So I'm sitting in an ordinary Wednesday night Bible study, and we're just sitting there, right? And I mean, the pastor's talking, there's, you know, it's a sanctuary about this size, but longer and skinnier. And, uh, and you know, there's like maybe 15 people, and I'm in halfway back in the, in the middle, you know, all, you know, by myself, you know, uh, kind of the token Air Force guy in, in the meeting. And uh, uh, I'm just sitting there, man, listening to the pastor. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not praying. I'm just sitting there innocently. And suddenly... This is just me, my story, okay? What felt like a million volts of high voltage electricity passed through my body, but I knew it was God. And so this, you know, kind of semi-cool, just recovered from being burned out, uh, you know, cynical 18-year-old Minnesotan is in Texas standing, I cannot believe this, standing in the middle of the aisle going, hallelujah, hallelujah. And I mean, like, he said, not me, okay? It was just crazy, right? And so they figure something's going on with the Holy Spirit. So they all gather around me and they, I think they tried to get me to speak in tongues or something like that, which didn't happen until later. But anyway, if they just left me alone, it'd been fine. But anyway, it was, it was great. Got, right? So it's a, it was a taste of love that surpasses knowledge. Like the high voltage tube, sometimes you encounter God and you, you may not even have words for it yet. Right? God is, is trying to touch you, and, and you're like, I don't even know how to put it into words. Paul here is reaching for superlatives. Love that floods and transforms us. Does it work, and how do you mature believers? John Wesley, along with being a great preacher, was probably the greatest developer of small groups in Christian history, but he himself felt like he needed to invent a doctrine of perfection so people would grow. And he, by the end of his life, he despaired of even fulfilling that own doctrine himself. Here's the question. Do we trust the Holy Spirit 
grace-filled identity, the working of God to transform people's lives? Or do we have to add to it with rules? Paul says, grace will produce righteousness when you experience soul-shattering love. And so he prays that they would experience a love that he can hardly even put into words. Truth plus love, the love of God will transform your life. And here's what's tough about a sermon like this. I talk about my experience. It might not be your experience. It might never be your experience. Exactly. Because God is not, he doesn't make clones, okay? Just let me tell you right here. And, And you can experience the Holy Spirit. It may not be exactly like somebody else's experience of the Holy Spirit. It's just, you know, God's individual. But I do know this. In the Bible and throughout Christian history, you can trace when people have tasted the love of God by his spirit. There's a transformation. There's something that goes beyond the words. And I cannot guarantee a certain set of experiences. But what I can do is urge you to pray what Moses prayed. Lord, show me your glory. Lord, show me yourself. Lord, I want to know more of you. I want to taste that love that surpasses knowledge. Why? So that I can be filled with all the fullness of God. People who taste this soul-shattering love, they do become the Mother Teresas, whether they're famous or not. I know some. They become the St. Francis. Because when you know that kind of love, you're willing to cross boundaries to give Christ love. Paul had a drive to make Christ known where he was not known. You know what? (laughs) Dangerous statement, but I'm going to make it. Okay. If you love Jesus, you probably can just keep loving Jesus and kind of live at a certain level and, and he'll welcome you into heaven. It's probably true. But you could pursue a soul-shattering love that leaves you filled with the Spirit in a way that goes beyond just an experience of tongues or prophecy where there is a fuel in you to say, Lord, I have to make a difference. I have to do what you've made me to do. I want to, not out of ego, but out of love, I want to come to that judgment seat and have gold, silver, and precious stones to lay at your feet. Lord, would you make me uncomfortable with my comfort so that I could be Christ to those around me? You ask for a soul-shattering love, he'll give it. So the final prayer is to taste God's unfathomable love. Paul is praying for spiritual reality for the Ephesians or probably that region. It's probably a circular letter. Really, he's praying for us. For spiritual reality that God would take the truth in your mind and he would sink it 18 inches into your heart, what would touch your emotions and your will. 
And like Brian, you might be no good for a meeting for a while. That's okay. <laughs> you know, sometimes that happens. Sometimes it may not be super emotional. I'm just trying to tell you, look, don't, don't stereotype someone else's experience. You've got to see that, right? That, that's not the issue here. The issue is knowing what you know. I, I have experiences from my past, I could tell you. But you know what? In, in my current life, right, it's different, and that's okay. But I know that I know the love of Christ and I want to make a difference. Strengthened in the inner person, established in his love and touched by the overwhelming love of God that goes beyond knowledge. Stand with me. Oh, hallelujah. I just, I hope you're stirred in a pleasant way, in a good way. Don't want to discourage anybody. I hope you're hungry. Oh, just Jesus, just work in me, right? Hallelujah. So let's pray together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord God. Jesus, hallelujah. Lord, we are so thankful that you sent Jesus to die on the cross. That We're forgiven. Any wasted hours, foolish stuff, we confess it to you. We're forgiven. Hallelujah. Father, take us forgiven, but beyond that forgiveness to a fire to make a difference for you. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. I'd like you to bow your head and uh, just, uh, I'm going to ask two questions. I'm asking both at once, actually. So some of you, you're here and you say, I, I do need to take a step to get in right relationship to Jesus. I just you know, either you're brand new and you say, I just need to make sure I know Christ, and that's fine. Or you're not brand new, but you're like, you know, I, I just sense I've been twiddling my thumbs, hanging out on the edges. And uh, if that's you in, in a few moments, I'm just gonna have you raise your hand, we'll pray for you. But I'm gonna ask the other group at the same time. We're not gonna, I'm not gonna know which is which, it doesn't matter. But you're like, the second group, you're like, you know, I really dare, I want to dare to be touched by the love of Christ, it's not going to leave me the same. So if either of those applies, you just raise your hands, and really you raise them to the Lord. Say, Lord, work in my life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, work in my life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, work in my life, oh God. Father, we pray for those that need forgiveness and a fresh start, or a brand new start. We rejoice and pray in Jesus' name. Seal their souls. Help them to know what Christ is about, and to walk with him. For those that are like, you know what? I really want to get my soul deeply moved and transformed. I'm yearning. I'm yearning to move out of the pack. I want to do the will of the Father and finish his work. Father, bless and strengthen and refresh, oh God. And I do pray for that vision of your love and your grace. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Father. So we'll close with this and then we'll open the front for prayer. Now may the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all in Jesus' name. Amen.